Hi, I'm the Ish Girl, and you're listening to episode 61 of Connection, Not Perfection. The podcast where parents and teachers can find ideas, strategies, and resources for connecting with teens. Hey there, I am Amy Kelly, also known as the Ish Girl, and I am so excited that you have decided to join me today. Now, if you are a longtime listener, you might already know that this fall has been particularly hard for my family and I. That's something that I talked about on the podcast last week and something that I shared about in my weekly email. We've just Um, had some friends who've experienced quite a bit of loss. We've experienced four different deaths in four different families that we know, and it's just been a rough season, as you might imagine. So I have to say that my mind frame, my mindset has been a little bit negative, a little bit sad. I think all the natural things that happened when you're grieving but it just has felt so heavy. And earlier this week, I was browsing through Facebook or or some social media, I can't actually remember which one, but I stumbled across an article or a blog post that Brene Brown released, I think it was on Tuesday. Anyway, her blog post was called Doubling Down on Love. And as I started to read it, I could just feel my whole body resonate with exactly what she was talking about and exactly what she was saying. She was sharing the idea that it is easy to feel swallowed up by the despair and the depression and the grit of this broken world that we live in. And when we see a lack of humanity and the things going on around us, whether it's a shooting or or some other violent event, and when we witness a level of disconnect among different groups in our nation, and when we see things like large-scale devastation caused by natural disasters that seem to prop up with alarming regularity, it can feel like a never-ending tidal wave of hopeless, loveless, relentless negativity. And when you add to it any of the things that you might be going through personally, it can be super overwhelming, but it can also be easy to forget the good that's out there that triumphs and not just triumphs, but does so pretty often. I think a large part of that feeling comes from the fact that the negative stuff seems to darken the world on a much larger scale. We see it on the news, we're bombarded by it. While the positive things appear almost like tiny pinpricks of brightness, I kind of imagine them as fireflies flickering on a summer night. And if you're skeptical about that, that the good things are on a smaller scale and maybe aren't seen as often, um, because I, I thought that too, and I just thought, okay, can I name five things off the top of my head that have been super positive that I have seen on a national scale recently? And the things that came up were things like Oprah's you get a car moment, or even um, like when our nation pulled together to help the victims of Hurricane Katrina. So there are definitely some positive things, but I think it's so much easier to focus on the negative. And that's what gets ratings on news shows, right? So the good things seem like they show up more often on a much smaller scale, and it's the smaller things that I am taking note of, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. I'm going to talk about those smaller things in a few minutes. So the challenge here that I've been thinking about, especially in relation to my teens, 
is in teaching them that it's the brightness that matters, that adopting values that reflect love and justice, that's worth standing up for. That's worth living in. That is worth fighting for when necessary. And helping my teens understand that that's not going to always be easy, that sometimes it's going to be quite difficult and often very uncomfortable to do those things, to stand up for the things that reflect our values. But uncomfortable and difficult doesn't mean bad. And in fact, discomfort is often the currency of change. So living love out in this way that I'm talking about is hard, even for adults. And by adults, I mean me. So Brene Brown ends her article with a great list of eight action items. And in her beautiful way, she directs all of those action items at herself. And I have a list too today, and I have to admit that it's one that I started writing. And when I did, I was using the you, Y-O-U pronoun instead of I or me. But I think that that's one of those insidious ways that lovelessness and judgment rather than justice infiltrates our thinking. Because when I'm holding up a to-do list of solutions to everyone out there, kind of quote unquote, everyone out there, instead of up to a mirror, then that's a problem. And I'm not doing it in love. So having said that, here is my personal list of things that I want to implement. And it's a list that I have tried to filter through unselfish love, and also through my role as an influencer of the teens in my life. Now, this is a list of things that I have thought about and pondered over because I do feel like my mindset has drifted, been a little bit negative, and hasn't um, been focused on the things that I value and the changes that I want to affect in this world. Okay, the first thing on my list is to recognize my own cynicism. And once I've recognized it, I want to try to use the thought model to combat it with loving thoughts that do reflect my values. And if you're not familiar with what the thought model is, that is in a previous episode that I did. It was um, 52, 53, 54. I'm I'm not sure which one, but I will definitely link to it in my show notes if you want to go back and see what that strategy is for um, changing how you think so that you can change how you act. So here's what I mean by that. I recognized a few weeks ago my cynicism about the town that I live in and the people who live here being um, people of faith or not. And it felt very dark. It felt very secular for me personally, which um, that's my value. Faith is one of my values. So for me, I was having these negative thoughts and it didn't feel like my neighborhood or my city or my area was really one that was full of faith. But again, several weeks ago, a young lady, and this is one of the losses, unfortunately, that um, a friend experienced, but a young lady was hit by a drunk driver. She was a freshman in college, and she was in the hospital, and her family had requested prayers. So someone here in town um, put the word out on Facebook and just said, hey, we're having a neighborhood prayer service. Let's meet at this elementary school. Well, I went with a couple of other friends, and when we got there, I was blown away by the sheer number of people who were there in the evening, in the dark, at night, ready to pray and petition God for this 
particular family who had suffered such a traumatic event. So that's an example where I recognized my own cynicism and I was able to replace my cynical thoughts with there are people in my town who care, who come together as a community and who love one another. That was such a a great example of selfless love in that moment. Okay, so the second thing is I want to model to my teens being unrealistic in my passion for justice and equality in ways that align with my values and my actions, right? So by unrealistic, what I really mean is idealistic. For instance, when you think about Martin Luther King Jr. or Abraham Lincoln or Nelson Mandela, the ideas that they had were so radical and so unrealistic for their time that I'm sure a lot of people scoffed at it and were cynical about the changes that they wanted to implement. And yet, look at what they've done in the world today. So I want to have that same kind of, I can do anything, nothing is impossible attitude, especially when I am sharing things with my kids, because they need to know, like as Nelson Mandela said, that it always seems impossible until it is done right? So having that hope and being able to have the vision of seeing beyond what's right in front of you, that's something I want to model for my teens. Okay, number three, I really want to hone my own critical thinking skills and expand that learning and that practice to my teens. I really like the motto and and adopting the motto, curious skepticism. Because to me, that communicates that you're curious, you want to know, you're not being judgmental, but you're a little bit skeptical because you are looking at people's intent, motives, um, biases, and all those things. So in our family, we have a, a running joke where if some one of us shares some information or is telling a story about something and we ask, wow, where did you hear that? And we'll say, oh, it must be true because we found it on the interwebs, right? So kind of tongue in cheek, sarcastic. But what we're doing there my husband and I were really trying to help our teens recognize that not everything that they see in print or on the internet or not everything that they hear on the news is truth. It is very, can be very biased and it could be a very small snippet of the bigger picture. And we're trying to teach them to question everyone, not just those, you know, large scale Um, media outlets, but also their teachers at school, the person who's up preaching a sermon at church, and even my husband and I, we want them to really examine the people who are providing the information that they're absorbing and challenge it to see if it is true, if it's real, and if it is flavored with bias. Now, sometimes things can be true, but You do also need to be aware that there's that bias that is flavoring the conversation. So that is something that um, I want to continue to hone that skill in myself and in my kids. Okay, number four, I want to bring things back down to an individual level because rarely is change affected in a widespread sweeping fashion, despite how much negative things seem to come out in that widespread sweeping fashion, 
I think that change does not happen that way. Change happens sharing a cup of coffee or talking over a conference table or a dinner table or in the quiet moments spent with my people or those who might not be my people, but they might be my neighbors, right? I want my teens to know that those kinds of small beginnings are not to be despised and that an all or nothing philosophy can lead to nothing more often than not. Tiny changes are better than no changes. And because people resist change so much and so often, because remember, it is uncomfortable because they resist those changes. Tiny is the way to go sometimes. I want them to care about the things they value so much that it is impossible to not do or give whatever they have, even if it's teeny tiny. So for example, I may not be able to give $1,000 to the victims of the last natural disaster, but I can give five or I can give a few hours volunteering or I can clean out my closet to donate the things that people might need. I feel like I really saw this demonstrated when Oprah created a type of registry list for people who were victims of Hurricane Katrina, where she pointed out very clearly that you could buy a set of spoons for people and that would be helpful and that the collective efforts of many, many people, the small collective efforts added up to really, really big impact. So that's something that I really want to practice as well. Okay, number five. I want to make sure I'm looking at things from a different perspective. And that might look like digging into real numbers from reliable sources and research. Um, And here's what I mean by this. So it is often easy to slip into that negative mindset or even that paralyzing mindset that this problem is too big for me to make any kind of difference in with it or, or change anything. But I love this quote from Marie Forleo, and this, I think, is from her recent book that came out called Everything is Figureoutable, and what she said is this, to provide education and healthcare and sanitation for every person in the world on a basic level, it would cost us $28 billion per year. When you contrast that with what we spend globally on ice cream every year, which is roughly 59 billion, which is over double what it would cost, you have to look at that and realize there isn't lack in this world. What there is, is a lack of will to do something about it. So it's not about us not having enough resources. It's about that there's not enough of us that give a, and she uses an expletive there, and care to be able to solve these problems. So her point is, and the point that I'm trying to make as well, is that we have the resources. It's not about that. It is about our mindsets and our belief that we can make a difference. So my desire is to look at things from that perspective, see it differently, find the evidence and the numbers, like the the numbers here where it's 28 billion versus 59 billion, and share that with my kids so that they see that things are possible. Okay, number six, what I want to do better is to walk courageously. Now, when I start to generalize anything, I always try to go back to the question, can I name two? I want to make sure I'm not making any sweeping statements about any people group. 
I want to use a microscope instead of a telescope or getting out from behind any kind of scope for some face-to-face time with people that I'm curious about. It is so much harder to be critical or judgmental or argumentative or snarky to people when you're face-to-face. And unless my kids, they know this too, unless they can give me an example of two people that they personally know to support any kind of generalized statement, then we're going to take it as not being true. Because unless you know someone personally, you cannot make those large generalizations. And that takes courage to have those face-to-face conversations. It also takes courage to have those face-to-face conversations when they're uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about confrontation necessarily, but what I'm talking about is having conversations with people who are perpetuating lovelessness in whatever form, whether it's misogyny or bigotry or prejudice or injustice, even if it's disguised as humor. This needs to come from a place of love and curiosity, right? So when you are having conversations like this with someone, it needs to come from that loving place and not a place of self-righteousness. And it needs to involve a lot of gentle questions that start with things like, help me understand. And what is it that's keeping you from dot, dot, dot. And also things like, I hear what you're saying and I'm curious about blah, blah, blah. So using that kind of language invites understanding and also gives you a vehicle to share your values and your beliefs with people who may not feel the same way that you do. People who maybe have a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, and a lot of bitterness um, towards a particular group, right? And it takes courage to have that kind of conversation. And I want to make sure that I am modeling that, again, for my teens. All right, seventh, I want to point out the positive. And I tend to do this anyway, because that's just part of my personality. My husband and I joke about that a lot because we can look at the same thing and I wouldn't say that I'm a Pollyanna, but I definitely am a glass half full kind of girl. So remember when I talked about those small pinpricks of light? I love to point those out to my teens, whether it is listening to the Christmas wishes that are fulfilled on our local radio station during the holidays, or even hearing a celebrity like Ellen DeGeneres holding up a light when she makes a statement like she did recently about um, hanging out with George Bush at a ball game. And she says, when I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only to the people that think the same way that you do. I mean, be kind to everyone. It doesn't matter. Or it's even watching a grieving young man embrace his brother's killer in forgiveness, like Brant Jean did here in the Dallas area with Amber Geiger. I want my teens to recognize that you might have to look harder to find that light, but it is always there. You can always find it somewhere. So that's three examples, just recent ones right off Um, the top of my head of instances where I can point to love and light and justice and forgiveness and mercy in our world. And it's there if you're looking for it. Okay, number eight. And lastly, I want to remind my teens often, often that they have a purpose and unique gifts to help them fulfill that purpose. 
And I want to help them figure out what those are and teach them to be relentless in equipping themselves and what they need to accomplish that purpose. For example, one of my son's friends um, created a program to help bring arts to kids in the area. They had setback after setback after setback, including losing the venue for their program just weeks before it was scheduled to happen because they were not registered as a nonprofit. So they had to figure out what it would look like to become a nonprofit or what they were going to do if they didn't. And They were able to figure it out and they eventually ended up holding two sessions of this really great humanities, um, like arts and theater and things like that program at our local boys and girls club. And that is a perfect example, I think, of what you want it to look like when your teens have identified their passion and they know what they want to do. They know they have the gifts and the skills to share in whatever form that's going to take. And then they just figure it out. And I want my kids to have that drive and to have those skills. Um, I know resourceful is is kind of a, a worn out buzzword, but just continuing in whatever it is that they're doing until they get it done. Now, recently, my friend Tammy, who you've heard on the podcast before, she's a counselor here in the area. She was explaining this idea that as educators and parents, we are the external emotional regulators for our kids. And that's just a fancy way of saying that we model the appropriate ways to manage emotions. And it's a necessary part of every child's development, and it is a long process. But I would contend that part of that process is modeling and very specifically calling out and teaching The idea that love is the ultimate filter to use when managing our emotions. When we can view everything through the lens of a pure and selfless, unconditional love, that is world changing, right? And that is the kind of world we want our kids to live in. And, you know, again, I know that it is an overused quote, but Gandhi's be the change you want to see in the world is really true, right? It starts with each of us. So that is the challenge that I'm taking on, and I am inviting you along with me. I know it's going to be an imperfect, messy, tough thing that I'll have going on, but I can just throw it along with all the other messy, imperfect, tough things. And I know that discomfort, again, is the currency of change. So I'm willing to step into the discomfort that it's going to take to do the things on my list, right? And if I want my teens to be willing to step into the fray and create the change that they want to see, I have to be first in line leading them there. Okay. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me today. I know that was kind of a lot to throw at you, but it's been on my heart. And um, that's one of the reasons that I have this podcast and I do the work that I do. It's because I want parents and teachers like you to be inspired and challenged to step up and be the adult, be the grownups that our kiddos need and that our teens will remember. So if you want to look at some of the articles that I used to gather information for this particular episode, I would love for you to stop by my show notes and you can find all of those there. And I'd love to hear what you guys think about this whole idea of Um, As Brene Brown said, doubling down on love. 
where we are really stepping into a mindset that is pretty countercultural. So let me know what you think. Let me know how you're doing that. Let me know if you're struggling the way that I've been struggling. And um, and let's have a conversation about it. You can find me on all the different social medias, mostly Facebook and Instagram. That's where I like to hang. And you can find links to my spots um, on those social media outlets, again, in my show notes. All right. Thank you guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and hang out with me today, and I will catch you next week. From an ish girl who chooses, like Brene Brown, to double down on love, it is all about connection, not perfection.